I just talked to an engineer who turned an ad agency into a $155 million a year beer maker, and she did it in a brutally competitive industry. Her name is Manjeet Minhas, and there is so much to learn from her story. I'm going to talk to you about that right after this. Before we get to that, you know what I'm going to ask. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and smash that subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a rating, leave a review. It makes me feel good and lets me know that you care. All right, let's get to the show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. All right, guys. So today I'm going to do something special. Haven't done this before. I talked to Manjeet Minhas on episode 43. And then I did a write-up on Manjeet for LinkedIn and Twitter. And it just blew up. I mean, this has been seen. The post that I did in April 2023 has been read as of this recording 731,000 times on LinkedIn. And here's the crazy part. This is not the first or the second, but it is the third time I have posted this story. I have done this story twice before. The first time it did okay on LinkedIn. The second time it was read by about a million people. That was four months ago. And then I posted it again this week because I was sick and I didn't have time to do any new content this week. So I used some old stuff and it's been seen again over 700,000 times. But here's the cool part. The comments on this one are on fire even more than last time. I mean, people have a lot to say. So in this episode, I'm going to do the following. I'm going to get to the comments, give you my thoughts on some of the comments. I'll do that at the end. I'm going to go over the story and kind of recap Manjeet's story briefly. And then I'm going to talk about some of the key lessons that you can learn from her story, the playbook that Manjeet used to win. I'm going to give you the key ingredients. I'm going to do all that in this episode. Let's get to it. All right, so I've already told you that she's an engineer who built a $155 million beer maker. Let's rewind to 1999. Manjeet breaks into the industry through a side door. She starts an agency alongside with her brother, Ravinder, and she's helping beer makers with marketing and design. Now, her parents own a chain, I think it was a chain or a large store uh, selling liquor in Alberta, Canada. And so that was client number one. She had other clients as well, but she started in the family business, doing marketing and design and branding and all that kind of stuff. And as her company grows, Manjeet adds manufacturing to her services. So she's actually helping to make beer and liquor as well. She's outsourcing it. She's not actually making it herself, but she has a factory she's working with and she's taking care of all that back end. To do this, she partners with a brewery in Wisconsin to make the product and sell it under various brand names. And that brewery in Wisconsin is really important. We'll get back to that in just a few minutes. She's on a roll, but she is just warming up. So let's fast forward to 2006. She decides to buy the Wisconsin brewery. Then she gives it a brand new name, Minhas Brewery. She immediately increases capacity to make more beer, different varieties, more types of alcohol. Then she expands with facilities in Barbados, Calgary, and Regina. Okay, now here is where her story starts to get nuts. We're fast forwarding. I'm giving you a very quick version of the story. This is where it gets nuts. As her company scales, 
Manjeet turns her attention to vertical integration. This means controlling every part of the manufacturing process. Now, there's a lot that goes into selling beer, and she wants to do it all. So, for example, she starts a glass-blowing company to make the bottles that the beer goes in. She opens a print shop to make the labels. She assembles a truck fleet to get the products onto shelves in the stores. She launches a film studio to make all the ads. So she's doing all this stuff to bring down costs and take more control out of every aspect of the business. It's a brutally competitive industry. So she needs to be able to get an edge wherever she can. And at this point, she has a lot of control. She pretty much has total control with the exception of the last mile, which is the actual selling to consumers. She doesn't own any retailers at this point. And that's by law. I think she would love to own the retail component too, but she can't do that. And she also doesn't own the farms. So the hops and the wheat and the barley and whatever else beer is made of, she doesn't own that either. But everything in between there, she owns. Now, this is the cool part. The main business that Minhas Brewery is in is private label beer making and private label alcohol making. So she's not competing with the Anheuser-Busch's of the world. She's competing with players that are making store brand beers. So for example, if you've ever had Trader Joe's beer, Manjeet makes that. Costco's Kirkland Signature Beer, Manjeet makes that. Sam's Club, 7-Eleven, Walmart, on and on and on. Manjeet makes all of it. And the cool part about that is you've probably had the product. If you've purchased any of, from anything I just mentioned, she's made that. This goes back to how she started in the business. You remember back in the, at the very beginning, she was doing that for her parents, outsourcing it. Now she's doing it on a very large scale for some of the biggest retailers in the world. Minhas Brewery is now a top 10 global player as a private label brewer. And she's not slowing down anytime soon. So here are three quick takeaways that I left on my LinkedIn post. She bootstraps her business with zero outside funding, no investors, no banks. She leverages a supplier relationship to acquire the brewery in one gangsta move. This buys massive credibility. And finally, she maximizes quality and profitability by investing in every piece of the business. No one, no one can touch her now. All right, so that's my Coles Notes, really quick and dirty version of the Manjeet Minhas entrepreneurial story. If you want the whole story, go to episode 43 of this podcast and you will hear Manjeet tell it herself in full form. But I want to cut now to business lessons. So what can we learn from how she did this? All right, so the very first thing I want to talk about is the idea of bootstrapping. A really important point of this story is that she did not raise venture capital. She did not raise bank debt. She did not go out and find angel investors. She built this herself with her own capital. And a lot of people are going to say, well, how did she do that? Was she given huge, did she inherit huge amounts of money? Was she sitting on a fortune of $10 million? No. She used the Sprint formula. The Sprint formula is something that I talked about. I did a whole episode on this, episode 54. You can go back and listen to it, but I'll give you a quick version of the Sprint formula right now. Sprint is what I've used, Manjeet used it, and many, many others have used it to build profitable large businesses without raising outside capital. 
Here's how it works. S in Sprint is for service. You want to start out with a service-based business that generates a lot of cash reliably and at high margins. And that's really important. You need to be able to deliver a service where you can capture profit because the next one, P, is profits. You need to be generating profits. If you have a business that's running on razor-thin margins and you're basically making no money or losing money on every transaction, you're never going to be able to grow. So the nice thing about having a service business, whatever service business that is, in the case of Manjeet, it was an advertising, branding, consulting, wholesale agency, whatever you want to call it, in the alcohol space, that was the service. It generated profits. And then the R for in Sprint, she was able to reinvest, reinvest those profits, get bigger and better. How was she able to eventually buy that brewery? That didn't happen right away, by the way. She did that after, I think, seven years. But how was she able to actually create her own business, eventually buy the brewery, reinvest in the machinery, reinvest in the real estate, reinvest capital in labor and all that kind of stuff through profit? So reinvesting that profit is super, super important. One common thing you'll hear in Manjeet's story in the story of Monroe Footwear Group, where I interviewed Bill Monroe, is that these people who build capital-intensive businesses, and this over here is a very capital-intensive business, they don't have a lot of cash on the side. Uh, it's the same one with Art Italia Group. When I talked to Enzo from Art Italia, you're talking about people that have companies doing nine-plus figure revenues, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenues. And what did Bill Monroe tell me? He told me he has $92 million of shoes on his balance sheet. I'm sure he'd love $92 million of cash in his bank account, but he's got $92 million worth of shoes. I'm sure Manjeet would love to have $50 million of cash, but I'm sure she probably has $50 million in beer. Enzo from Art Italia, I'm sure would love to have $100 million of cash. He's got $100 million of machinery to make industrial furniture. So it's not uncommon to have to reinvest in these things in capital-intensive businesses. You absolutely need to have the profit to do that and to reinvest. Okay, next we have innovate. So sprint, the I is for innovate. As you start to make more and more money, so let's say you start, you have $1 in profit in your first month. Then in month two, you have $5 in profit. Then in month three, you have $20 in profit. It goes on and on and on. After three or four years, your monthly profit is starting to be in the thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. You start to innovate. You take that cash and you do more and more and more. In the case of Manjeet, it was about getting out of just outsourcing the manufacturing of alcohol and actually acquiring the factory to manufacture the alcohol yourself, right? That's how you innovate. That's how she discovered, oh, if we do this, we can innovate. We can do more. That's why she got into the film side of the business, the label making, the trucking. She was innovating in order to get better and better and bigger and bigger. Quick break here while I tell you about something really exciting I've been working on called the Business Essentials Kit. Here's the deal. I get asked all the time, John, how do you run your business effectively? What's the best way to build a website? How do I get a branded email? How do I save on legal fees? How do I manage my social media? So what I've done is I put a kit together for you for free. You can download it at johndavids.com with all the tools and services that I use to run my business. Get it right now for free at johndavids.com. 
The N in Sprint is for nanotest. You do small things, micro tests to see what works. So rather than go out and spend a million dollars on something brand new, why don't you run an experiment for $100 or $50 and say, hey, does this work? Okay, this works. Let's try a little more. Okay, this seems to work. And then you go nanotest, nanotest, nanotest. And so you're able to pivot and innovate and iterate and do more. And finally, the T in Sprint is take to market. So once you've done all those things, you are ready to take something new to market. And companies are doing this all the time, by the way. This never really stops. Even the biggest companies in the world have service divisions, which generate a ton of profit, which those companies then reinvest and innovate and then run nanotests and then take things to market. So Sprint never ends. And it's critical, especially at the beginning of your career, unless you're sitting on $10 million to start something, or unless you can go out and raise tons of venture capital, you need to be able to do these things. That is Sprint. All right, another point here, growing through partnerships and acquisitions. Manjeet does this masterfully. So partnerships, I didn't talk about this on LinkedIn, but it's in the podcast in detail. Manjeet has partnered with Gene Simmons from Kiss, with Nelk Boys, one of the biggest acts on YouTube right now, to create products that are in partnership with celebrities and major influencers so that you have massive distribution. The number one selling alcoholic seltzer in the world right now, I believe, is Happy Dad by Nelk. Gene Simmons, they created, I think it was a gin or a vodka brand together. I might be getting that wrong, but they have a brand with Gene Simmons. These types of partnerships enable you to do stuff really, really effective. So Manjeet would say, you know, we're not the greatest marketers in the world, but we know how to make a great product and distribute it and get it onto shelves and do all those things. But we'll team up with folks who know how to do marketing really, really, really well so that we can get our product out there really fast. And choosing those partnerships is so important, doing it right, not jumping at everybody who wants to partner with you, but making sure you find the right partners and growing through acquisitions. I've talked about this in other podcasts as well. You don't need to have a brilliant idea If somebody else has a brilliant idea and has already taken that idea from zero to one, you could just buy that idea, buy that business or partner with them and bring more to the table because one plus one can equal 10 in those cases. Last thing I want to talk about here is vertical integration. So it's not just about making more money selling what you're selling. It's about figuring out how you can cut things out of your supply chain and bring it in-house. And I want to be clear. Some people say, yeah, but shouldn't you focus on one thing? Yes, you should focus on one thing. But once you do that one thing really well and you have people helping you with that thing and you're not spending your days doing it anymore, you can figure out all kinds of other ways to make your business better, to run your business more effectively. So Manjeet realized that she could start a glass blowing company to make the bottles and maybe she can make bottles for other companies as well. I'm not sure if she does, but she certainly could. She opens a print shop to make labels. She has a trucking fleet. Maybe she leases those trucks out to other companies. Who knows? She has a film studio. And I actually know that she does, I think it's documentaries or there's some other film project that Manjeet has. And it's because she has that film studio. So all this stuff adds up and it's slow innovations that really add up to make a huge difference over time. 
Let's get to the comments. Some spicy comments here. A lot of people, a lot of fact checkers, a lot of people that had lots of opinions. I love it. I love it. But I'm going to give you my thoughts on a couple of the big buckets of comments. So one comment that I saw sort of repeatedly was about family money and that Manjeet came from massive family money. Now, I haven't done a ton of research on this. I only know what Manjeet told me. And what we talk about in the podcast was in 1994, her father was laid off from his job as an engineer. And before that, the family had immigrated to Canada with little to no money. So between the years of 1994 and 1999, those six years, or I guess it was five years when Manjeet launched her business, did her dad become a multimillionaire and her mom all of a sudden won the lottery? I have no idea. Maybe that did happen. If it did, that's freaking awesome. I would love it. I mean, that would make that an, an even better story. Wow. Came from this miracle family where the dad was laid off and five years later, he was a multimillionaire. Cool. I don't think that happened, but if it did, fine. But as far as I know, father was laid off in 1994 and they had a liquor store. Maybe it grew to multiple liquor stores. Her and her brother Ravinder started the company in 1999. And whatever success the family has had individually or together since then, awesome. All the power to them. My buddy, Tom Goodwin. He's not actually my buddy. I like Tom. He was on podcast 24. If you can tune in, Tom Goodwin is a uh, OG of LinkedIn, a legend and a great guy to follow on LinkedIn. Has a lot of cool stuff to say. So Tom had a comment on this post. He said something to the effect of, I'm quoting here, case studies are codified and worshipped survivorship bias. I'll say that again. Case studies are codified and worshipped survivorship bias. I think he was saying something to the effect of this story makes it look easier than it is, or that maybe this showing that this story is a big win sort of, I guess, eliminates or makes light of the fact that a lot of people try this and don't have this kind of success. And I would agree with that. I mean, yeah, there are plenty of people, I'm sure, who have breweries and they're not making hundreds of millions of dollars with their breweries. They're not getting contracts with Trader Joe's and Walmart and Costco. And yeah, that's totally, that's true. The reason I like sharing stories like this, though, is actually a different reason. It's because it's counter narrative to the typical VC startup culture. So much of the time in our society, when we hear about successful businesses, it's always like, oh, you know, three guys in a garage and they raised venture capital and they had an app and then they were acquired by Facebook. And it's like, that's boring as shit. Like, I hate that stuff. Like, cool if it happens, but that's like really, really lame as a story, in my opinion. It's, it's like the most vanilla version of a business success story. I like stories where it's like, roll up your sleeves, buy a factory, figure out how to manufacture the stuff, get a contract with Costco, and then you make $100 million. Like, that's freaking awesome. I like that story way better. And I like sharing those stories because it shows you, and I mean this in the best way, you don't need to be the smartest person to make this happen. And by the way, I'm not talking about Manjeet. She's an engineer. She's way smarter than me. I'm not all that smart. And even I can do this. So I tell you this to make you know that you don't need to be a computer scientist, Stanford graduate, raising capital from Sequoia with you know 2,000 
people working for you, multi-billion dollar unicorn valuation, like all that stuff is nonsense. Forget about that. If you want to do it, go to it. But that's not what I'm about and that's not what energizes me. It's these stories. And so that's what I would say, not taking away from what Tom said. Look, Tom Goodwin's right. These stories don't usually have this level of, of seamlessness. I tend to write my posts like a movie script. That's my style of writing. I'm trying to tell a story in a really compelling way. But I write it as a movie script. If you want to hear the whole story, go listen to the podcast, episode 43. Manjeet will tell it like it is. All right, finally, the last part of the comments. A lot of a lot of really great comments. I'll just talk about kind of some of the bad stuff here. So a lot of people slamming the story on details. I mean, nitpicking on the size of the company, the size of the brewery. People were saying, well, well, it's not really a top 10 brewery. And they were listing like, you know, InBev and, and Anheuser-Busch and all these big companies. This is a private label brewer. So I'm not talking about the biggest name brand breweries in the world. In her category, it's a, you know, it's a private brewer. But I guess the bigger point that I want to make here is... If you want to have conversations like that, I feel like the real issue at hand is that you're poking holes in somebody else's success story because it makes you feel better about yourself. And I say that because if you're listening to this podcast, if you're reading my stuff, I want you to be successful. That's the point of this. The reason I do a podcast called Making It is because I'm talking about actually making stuff. How do you actually do it? I don't care that you have $100 million. I don't care that you have a billion dollars. How did you do it? I want the details. I want, I want to know when you rolled up your sleeves and figured out that if you do A and B, it works. And then, oh, you tried C and that didn't work. Oh, damn, I got to go back a step. Oh, if I do this, oh, okay, cool. That works a little better. Like, that's what I want to know. So if you want to just poke holes in somebody else's story, then go put on your jammy jams and tuck yourself in. This podcast is not for you. You want to, be, you want to talk amateur hour? That's amateur talk. If you want to be an amateur, you're not going to be able to sit at the big boy table. I'm at the big boy table and the big girl table. I'm here to tell you how it's done and I want you to see how it's done. And if somebody else's story doesn't totally compute, that's totally cool. Focus on your own story. Figure out how you can succeed, how you can win and look at the good parts of the story, by the way, and say, all right, I'm not sure if I totally get this and this, but holy crap, how did she do that? How did this work? Whoa, there's a lot to learn from the story. And if you poke holes and then try to say, well, it doesn't make any sense, there's no value because this one little thing is a little off from what it says. Guys, amateur hour, not interested. You're not getting anywhere, all right? I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Again, go listen to episode 43 to hear the whole thing from Manjeet Minhas herself. Let me know what you think. Leave me a review on this episode. You can get me at johndavids.com. Join the email list. Follow me on social. And I'll see you guys next time.